0: This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. So a uh, boy named Stephen got his first set of keys when he turned 16. He um went to his town where he got his driver's license and he got home and his parents handed him the keys to the family car. So he got in the car and he turned up the ignition. He pulled out of the driveway and he had never felt such freedom before in his life. He was ready for adventure. So he got to the end of his street and he said, well, where do I go? And right away he knew where to go to church. It was his second home. It was the place where he was loved and valued and accepted no matter what. So he drove and he parked in the church parking lot just as the church's childcare was ending for the day. And the coordinator saw Stephen park and she said, he can drive. We need childcare workers. So she went up to him and she said, hey, hey, you interested? You interested in working with us? And he didn't have to think twice hang out with kids and get paid for it at church, yes, it's a no-brainer. So she said, well, let me go get you the new hire paperwork. And she went into the office and she came out with the paperwork and she came out with a key to the church. And she put it in his hands and that was a momentous occasion for him because as he stared at that key in his hands, he realized this was the same key the pastor had. The same key his youth pastor had. The same key his Sunday school teacher had. The same key responsible adults with power have. And they were giving it to him. And she said, if you're going to work with us, there might be times when you have to lock up. And in that moment, he realized that life was good. But then it got even better because after a couple weeks of working at the church with his own key the youth pastor came up to him and said hey Stephen, would you help me with something since you're already at church so much will you help me stock the soda machine you can have all the mountain dew you can drink and he gave him another key for the soda machine so now he had a key to the car a key to the church and a key to the soda machine this was as good as life was gonna get Until later that night, when he was locking up an empty church, he received his last key. God spoke to him and said, do you like it here? He said, yes, I really do. And God said, well, get comfortable because you're going to be here a lot. And that began Stephen's journey into ministry. And now today, he has been a youth pastor for over 20 years. And it all began with one key and a church a church that saw potential in him, a church that called him step-by-step into leadership. Now this story comes from a book called Growing Young, written by Kara Kara Powell, Jake Mulder, and Brad Griffin. And it really is a beautiful picture of how the church is called to raise up our children, our young people, In the faith, how the church is called to embrace our families and call people into leadership. So the past several weeks, we've been walking through the book of Judges. And today, I'm happy to say this is our last week in Judges. And we've been talking about leadership, how judges can teach us about faithful leadership. And so today, as we finalize this series on the book of Judges, we're going to talk about the legacy of leadership how we can leave a legacy of leadership for the next generation. So Peter Stropel has said this. Legacy is not leaving something for people, it is leaving something in people. Now as Christians, there are so many ways that we leave legacies for people. We are busy casting vision, executing vision, building ministries, leaving something for the next generation. And today we're going to explore how we can leave something in the next generation. So I invite you to pray with me. Oh God, as we come into this space, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and fall upon us that as we explore the beginning of Samson's life, as we walk through this final um, leg of our adventure through judges, that you would bless us, that you would speak to us on how we can leave a legacy, no matter how old we are, how many children we have or don't have, speak to us of how you are calling us to shape the next generation. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So our story today is from the book of Judges, and it's the story of Samson's origin. Samson was a judge of Israel who fought to help free them from the oppression of the Philistines, which is kind of their arch enemy throughout the Old Testament. But if you know your Bible, you know that Samson was a flawed character, He wasn't always the model judge that we would hope for from the heroes of the Bible. In fact, he wasn't always very heroic. And we're going to talk more about that later. But first, we're going to start with the beginning of his story of how he came to be born. So our story begins in Judges chapter 13. And I'm reading from the Common English Bible translation. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Israelites again did things that the Lord saw as evil. And he handed them over to the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah, from the Danite clan, whose name was Manoah. His wife was unable to become pregnant and had not given birth to any children. The Lord's messenger appeared to the woman and said to her, Even though you've been unable to become pregnant and haven't given birth, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. Now be careful not to drink wine or brandy or to eat anything that is ritually unclean because you are pregnant and will give birth to a son. Don't allow a razor to shave his head because the boy is going to be a Nazarite for God from birth. He'll be the one who begins Israel's rescue from the power of the Philistines. Then the woman went and told her husband, A man of God came to me and he looked like God's messenger, very scary. I didn't ask him where he was from and he didn't tell me his name. He said to me, you are pregnant and will give birth to a son, so don't drink wine or brandy or eat anything that is ritually unclean because the boy is going to be a Nazarite for God from birth until the day he dies. And then later in the story, we read this. The woman gave birth to a son and named him samson the boy grew up and the lord blessed him the lord's spirit began to move him when he was in mannahdan between zorah and Eshdale. this is the word of god for us the people of god Okay, so in this period of Israel's history in the book of Judges, they were struggling under the hand of the Philistines. They were a mighty bunch, and they were oppressing God's people. And so in God's compassion and mercy, he promised for them a judge, one who would begin to fight back against the Philistines to begin to rescue them from the power of the Philistines. And so this birth announcement, it may feel familiar to you because we see it happen over and over again in Scripture. Abraham and his wife, Sarai, had been unable to conceive a child until God said to Abraham, Look at the stars, these are how many descendants you will have. And soon his wife, Sarai, later named Sarah, Miraculously conceived and gave birth to a son named Isaac, who is one of the forefathers of our faith. There was a woman named Hannah who was also unable to conceive, and she cried out to God for help, and God gave her a child named Samuel, who she dedicated to the Lord, and he became a great prophet in our history of faith. And then, of course, there's Mary, a young virgin who an angel appeared to and said, do not be afraid for you are going to give birth to God's son and he will save the world. And months later, Mary gave birth to Jesus. So this was no small moment for Manoah's wife. She knew as the angel told her that she would give birth to a son that This was not just finding out she was going to have a boy. This was finding out she was going to have a boy who was meant to be somebody great, who was meant to be a great leader, who God had created to lead God's people. And she had the responsibility of raising him to do that. No pressure, right? And so to help her with this great responsibility, the angel gave her very specific instructions. The angel said he's going to be a Nazarite from birth, which basically means he's going to be set apart. He's going to be consecrated for special leadership. And in order to be a Nazarite, his um, raising needed to happen while he was still in her womb. She could not drink alcohol. She had to keep a very strict diet. And she could never, ever, ever cut his hair. And the assumption is that as a Nazarite, once Samson was born, he would have to carry on these traditions of the faith. He could never drink alcohol. He could never, um, he could always stay within that very special diet, and he could never, ever, ever cut his hair. These were the customs, the practices that would help him be a successful, special leader. Now, I know this sounds strange to our modern ears. And when we think about today's world of how we could raise a child to be a successful great leader, we think of getting them into the right schools, of exposing them to art and music and sports. We think of teaching them responsibility and helping them grow into maturity. So just think about these instructions for raising a Nazarite as ancient Israel's equivalent to a recipe for success. This was the instructions for how Manoah's wife, Samson's mom, we never learn her name, of how she can raise her son to be who God appointed him to be. And so from this moment in Scripture, we learn a great deal about the responsibility of raising children. Whether that be parenting or grandparenting, maybe being an aunt or an uncle, maybe being a youth leader All of us who have influence in the lives of young people, we learn about the responsibility of raising up our children. Our job is to prepare them not only to be responsible citizens, our job is to prepare them to be the person that God created them to be. Laura Kelly Finucci is uh, one of my favorite writers, and she reflects a lot on the vocation of parenting, of raising children in the faith. And she wrote a book called Everyday Sacrament, The Messy Grace of Parenting, and I highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in this theme. And in this book, she has a chapter that she writes an open letter to her children, and um, we're going to read from a section of this book, and she's talking about advice that she received when she was pregnant with her first child. And she wrote this. Take your baby out into the world. I remembered these words long after all the advice that first-time mothers hear. But even as her words echoed in my ears, nudging me out the door with a newborn to the park and the playdate and the library, I still couldn't see clearly what I know now that hers would be the best advice I'd receive on parenting. Because she reminded me that my calling as a mother is to introduce you to the wide world and the God who created it. So that I can help each of you learn how you are called in turn. Called to take your place, to share your gifts, to serve in the ways you will be shown. This is the great call of raising children and this is um, a calling that makes raising children so hard when i was pregnant someone warned me that when the baby would finally be born that it would be like your heart taking on flesh and walking out in the world where you could no longer protect her from all the brokenness that exists out there the best that you can do is nourish her and strengthen her for um, life that she might thrive, even in the struggles that awaits her. Raising children—whether you're parenting, or grandparenting, or aunting, or uncling, or being involved in the ministries of the church—raising children is not for the faint-hearted. Which is why God gave us the church, because when we are a part of the church, we are promising to be family we here are the family of God whether we know each other or not we are part of this great extended family and our promise as the family of God is that we will support each other through all the phases of life from infancy to our final breaths which means we are called to support one another in raising children And leaving a legacy, not just something for the next generation, but something in the next generation. So here at Apex, we embrace a ministry philosophy called orange. And orange is made up of red and yellow, right? So red represents the heart of the family. Yellow represents the light of Christ that we find in the church. And when you put the red and yellow together, it makes orange. So this means that we believe that we can create the greatest legacy in the next generation when the family and the church partner together. Reggie Joyner is the architect of this philosophy, and in his book, Think Orange, he wrote this. There are two powerful influences on the planet, the church and the home. They both exist because God initiated them. They both exist because God desires to use them to demonstrate his plan of redemption and restoration. If they work together, they can potentially make a greater impact than if they work alone. They need each other. Too much is at stake for either one to fail. Their primary task is to build God's kingdom in the hearts of men and women, sons and daughters. So being a part of this extended family of God, means that you are a part of this work. Whether or not you have children of your own, you are partnering with the parents here to create a community where our young people can discover who God is, where they can discover how they are called to live, who God created them to be. You are a part of that work for every young person here. And if you're a parent, then you know how much we need that help. Reggie Joyner points out in his book that, on average, a kid who's really involved in church will give the church about 40 hours a year. So that means we who are involved in ministries with young people have 40 hours a year to pour into them. Parents or guardians have 3,000 hours a year to influence children in faith. So if you're a parent What I hope you'll hear today is that the church is here to help you with those 3,000 hours, to help you live faithfully and leave that legacy. James Baldwin, the author, is famous for saying, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. The church is here to help you know God, Grow in your faith. Become who it is that God called you to be. And that leaves a legacy greater than anything you can imagine. Because as you grow in your faith, you model for the younger generations how they might grow in theirs. So the church is here to help you grow in that faith in your relationship with jesus and the church is here to support our parents as they disciple their kids as they act like samson's mom and raise them to be responsible faithful leaders in the kingdom of god teaching things like prayer and scripture study worship and service the church is your partner parents to help you with that great responsibility Whenever a child is baptized in the United Methodist Church, we make a vow to that family. And that vow is in our hymnal, and it goes like this. We will surround this child with a community of love and forgiveness, that they may grow in their trust of God and be found faithful in their service to others. We will pray for them that they may be a true disciple who walks in the way that leads to life. When I think about Samson's mom, when she received that great responsibility from the angel, I sure hope that she had people in her life who made this kind of vow to her, who vowed that she, they would support her, that they would help raise him to be the Nazarite that God called him to be. I pray that she had women who would share recipes so that he could stay to his strict diet or that they had detangler tips for when his hair grew and grew and grew. I hope and pray that she had the community of support that we at the church have because as a parent, I don't know what I would do without it. And you know, the challenge of raising children is that they grow up, right? They grow into adults. Adults that can make their own decisions. They can choose to live as you have raised them to live, or they can choose to live as they wish to live. Samson's life did not end well. He did fulfill his calling. He did undermine the Philistines, but he made a lot of mistakes along the way. He was not the model judge, the hero that his parents raised him to be, that they hoped he would be. And, and I think we have to sit with that because this is the pain of some of our lives. This is the fear of some of our lives. And isn't this why we don't always give the young Stevens in our midst our keys? Because of the fear. That they will not be all that we hope they will but here's the here's the thing when we don't give them our keys both literally or figuratively when we don't give them that responsibility that leadership when we don't trust them to make their own mistakes and help pick them up when they fall When we don't do that, we are betraying our calling as the people of God who are called to raise up the next generation. Because when we don't trust them with our keys, with leadership, what we're saying to them is that we don't trust who God made them to be. We don't believe in them. We don't think that they can pick themselves up when they fall. We are telling them that we don't trust them. And that is a great betrayal of our calling as parents, as grandparents, as aunts and uncles, as people who are called to raise the next generation. So I think we can learn some wisdom from Samson's mom. And the wisdom is that as people who are called to raise the next generation, we have to both hold that calling tightly and we have to hold the outcomes loosely. Meaning, we have to hold tightly to that calling to call out the best in our children, to raise them up to be people who are strong, who have confidence, who have a depth of spirituality, who know and love God. That is our calling and we can never veer from it. That is how we can be faithful. But we have to hold the outcomes loosely, place them in God's hands, Our job is to pass down the keys to life, to success, to faithfulness, to ministry, to train our young people to know how to use those keys. And then our job is to let them do it. But as we let them do it, our job is to love them unconditionally, just as God gives us keys, as God entrusts us with leadership, and God loves us unconditionally unconditionally. Whether we succeed or we fail, God is right there with us, and as people raising the next generation, that is our calling as well, to hold the outcome loosely and love them through whatever they endeavor. In everyday sacrament, Laura Kelly Finucci kind of finishes up her letter reflecting on This question that she gets a lot, as someone who writes about raising children and the faith, people ask her, well, what happens if your kids leave the church? What happens if they decide they don't believe in God? What happens if they go a whole different path? And so she tells her children in the letter how she responds. She writes, not at all I respond. If I can raise you to know that you were created by God, loved beyond measure, and called to share your gifts with those in need, then I believe this understanding will stay buried within your bones, no matter which road you choose. Your journey may wind into the church or out of the church, but wherever you go, it will be within the wide embrace of God who changed the essence of existence with love. My confidence in that truth runs deeper than any parental fears. I know that you are not mine to keep forever. You belong to God and you belong to God's wild world. So I can whisper these hopes and confidence. May God, who has begun the good work in you, bring it to fulfillment. I can imagine Samson's mom putting him to bed and praying this prayer over him. May God who begun a good work in you bring it to fulfillment. I can imagine her praying this over Samson even in adulthood when he was doing faithfully and when he was veering from the path. May God who began a good work in you bring it to fulfillment. I can imagine praying for Samson with love in her heart, believing in who God made him to be. That is how you leave a legacy in someone, not just for someone. So however you find yourself today influencing the life of a young person, I encourage you to remember three important things. First, don't hoard your keys. Train the next generation for leadership. Trust them with it and believe in them, especially when they don't believe in themselves. Second, As a part of God's family, remember that your calling is to leave a legacy for the next generation. We are the extended family of God and all of us are leaving a legacy in our young people. Not just building a church for them, but leaving an imprint within them. Be the faithful disciple that you hope they will be. And remember, Remember, church, that our calling is to introduce the next generation to the wild world and to the God who created it. Our calling is to call forth their gifts and to nurture them, to use those gifts to become who God made them to be. And then our calling is to love them unconditionally through the ups and downs of life so that they know they have a family who will always embrace them, always welcome them, always Invite them home. When we do that, no matter the outcomes, we can trust that we've been faithful. So think of young Stephen. Young Stephen who received a key and found not just a place to work, but found a vocation. He can name the adults in his life, not just his parents, but those adults at church especially, who gave him the keys and trained him to answer the calling of God, to be who God made him to be. There are young Stevens all over this church. There are young Stevens in your life. You can be that adult for them, and I think God is counting on it.